We just thank you for this day. We thank you for this chance to open the word and to proclaim your word and, and see what you would have us to understand from it. We ask that you just lead and guide in your son's precious name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. We're going to read his whole sentence, which is to the end of the verse. If, if you don't know, Paul was uh, very good at writing run-on sentences. If you remember your English days when your teacher would say your sentence is a run-on where you have about nine or ten clauses in one sentence, Paul was very good about that, which makes it hard when you're preaching to try to figure out where to break his sentence up. So we're going to read the whole sentence. I don't think we're going to talk about the whole sentence today, but all right, verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love unto all the saints, ceased not to give thanks to you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of glory of his inheritance in his saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come. And that and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that fills all in all so that's a long sentence lots of different things we could stop and, and make points on we're going to start with he says therefore for after i heard of your faith in the lord jesus and the love unto all saints cease not to give thanks unto you making mention of you in my prayers. That's Paul's heart that he had for the people. He heard good news about this church in Ephesus. And he goes, I'm telling others about you. I'm praying for you because I've heard this good news. What was this good news he heard? Their love for the saints and for their love for, for God. One, one thing I love to do is when I go to pastors meetings, I get to love to tell them about how great God is doing things up here in Chloride and how we're reaching the world. And that's for each one of us in this church. But you know, that's the greatest thing. If you have a good pastor, that pastor wants to praise his people because Spurgeon said that the people of a church draw out the message from the pastor. And it is a true thing because I don't know if any of you have ever stood in front of a group because that's usually most people's fear. But if you're talking to a group, and usually when people are afraid to talk, they, they remember their days in high school when you had to talk in front of the class and everybody's sitting there reading a book or not paying attention to you. And, and it's really hard to give a message or a speech when nobody cares about what you're saying. It is the hardest thing to do because believe me, I've done those ones as well. And I've taught and I've preached. And even since the time I was 15 years old, I was teaching and, and, and doing Bible studies. And the hardest classes I ever taught was my high school class when I had to give a speech to the high school class. Because their head was down, they didn't care what I said, it didn't matter to them what, you know, I could have told them the moon was green and was going to go blasting out of orbit and they wouldn't have cared. Uh, you know, I could have told them the whole world was going to end in five minutes and they wouldn't have cared. You know, and those, when you try to get an audience like that, it's hard to speak, it's hard to teach. You come in for a group of people and they want to hear and they're, they're going, I want more, I want more. Those are great. My dad one time told me that he went to one of the 
stands in the old part of Russia in the, around the Caspian Sea there. And they got there really fairly late in the afternoon, around 5 or 6 o'clock. They'd been traveling for 14 hours. They'd been up for much more than that. And they started teaching these guys. And they were ready to end at around 10 o'clock. And they're going, no, we want more. Yeah. They wanted more. They wanted more teaching from the Word of God. They finally stopped at 2 o'clock in the morning and told the guys, sorry, we just can't stay awake any longer. It's been a long day. And they go, what time are we going to start tomorrow? <laughs> you know, and they were ready to start at like 5 o'clock in the morning. It's 2 o'clock now, and they're ready to start at two o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning. They go, no, let's make it 7. Let us get a little bit of sleep and breakfast. But you know how easy it would be to teach somebody who's wanting to hear that bad? I've talked to many people who've gone to underground churches in various places where they had to be snuck in, and they're, they're ready to quit teaching, and the rest of them are saying, no, we want to hear more. I've always wished that I could have that <laughs> in America, where people were saying, don't quit. Keep going. We need more. We take the word of God and, and meeting together so for granted. And Paul is saying he praised the Ephesians for their growth and their, and their desire. And he went before God for them. And I constantly pray for the individuals in this church, even the ones that don't come very often. I pray for them. I pray for the people who are listening on the internet, even though I don't know who they are. And when you're, when you're actually teaching a thousand people somewhere in this world, you want them to be blessed too. You know, but you know, we want to be able to lift up. God does great things. His word does not return void. His word brings growth. And I love being able to teach his word. I love, most importantly, though, watching people grow, watching their lives change. And you know, there are a lot of people that believe that people can't change their life. And you know what? They're right. We can't change our own life. But the more of God's word we get into us, the more God will change our life. The more that he gets into us, the more he will change our life. And it's amazing when you watch people change. People who were thieves that stopped stealing, those who are liars stop lying, those who are, you know, petty and bickering, you know, get to become more and more loving. And it's all because of God, what God does in people's lives. I've always been amazed when somebody gets changed dramatically. I mean, it's like their whole life changes the day they get saved. That wasn't me. <laughs> now, I wasn't one of those. God's had to kind of beat me over the head with a two by four every step of the way. Except for the one great change he made in my life, he took away a, a very vicious temper. At 10 years old, I had a vicious temper. And I was always in fights. And God took that away from me. One of the reasons I know that, I, that I'm a new creation is because of the big, big change in my life. All the rest of the stuff has been hard, you know, and I fight God tooth and nail for most of the other decisions. And I've shared with you, in my younger days especially, I had to keep getting hit over the head with a two by four. You know, are you ready to listen yet? <laughs> no, God, I'm not ready to listen yet. <laughs> You know, and after, after a couple of years, I go, okay, God, I give up. You win. <laughs> you know, the key is to get less, less time. You know, I, I usually listen to God a lot faster now. I don't have to be beat up for years before I listen to him. But we all have to grow. We all have to grow. And the key is, are we growing? And I've shared this over and over. We need to look at our lives and say, am I different today from what I was you know, probably a year ago? Anything less than you don't really notice. And we've talked about that. You know, you don't notice the change of things. If you live in a town, you, know, you, don't, you don't notice the growth or the shrinkage usually until you kind of compare it to, you know, years ago. I'm always amazed. I've lived in this area for 10 years. I come over Coyote Pass, and I look over here at, Clo uh, at Golden Valley, and I'm going, where's that little strip that had a few houses? Now it's all through the valley. And 
you know, but it's the same in our lives. God is going to change our life a little by little as we let him. And it's going to be him that changes it. We don't change our own, our own life. I don't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to live perfect today. Now, number one, I can't live perfect, but even if I wanted to, it's not me who's going to do it. It's, God, I surrender this to you. I ask you to crucify it and come live through me in this area of my life. It's all him. And we've got to understand, everything about the Christian life is God. Nothing about me. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they go, well, what do I have to bring to God? And I go, nothing. And I saw on their face they didn't like that answer, and I go, but I have nothing to bring him either. Nobody has anything to bring to God. Nothing in my flesh is worth anything to God. Now, that would be like going to some famous painter. You know, somehow you get to meet Picasso and say, here, I've got my painting I want to give you. You know, it's a really good painting, and it may be a good painting as far as you're concerned, but what is a master going to look at that and say, you know, maybe they'll be kind and say, oh, yeah, it's a good, <laughs> it's good, but they're not going to post it up there with their, you know, with their paintings. You know, and this is the way God is. You know, we come to him and say, God, look what I can give you. And God's saying, well, thank you, nice, it's, you know, I appreciate it, but <laughs> it's not going to help me. You know, how many of you remember, especially for us men, maybe we're working on the car and our kids come up, I want to help you, Daddy. And you're thinking, oh boy, <laughs> this job just went from an hour job to a two-hour job while I teach my kid how to find the parts in the, in the, in the toolbox that I could have just reached in and grabbed or you know, answer all the million and one questions. Or for those of us who cook, you know, I want to help you cook. <laughs> Okay, as we now know, we're going to clean up the eggs on the floor and the flour on the table on the floor and, and maybe even the broken bowl that got dropped on the floor as they were trying to help. But, you know, we need to do it. We need to allow them to learn. But God is saying, and God will be kind to us. Here's what I bring to you. Okay, let me crucify it and, bring, and give you what I need. And it's all him. All of it is him. And we give praise to him for that. Because if it's me... I guarantee you all don't want to hear what I have to say. Because I don't have, I'm not all that eloquent. I'm not that good. So God speaks. He, we give what he allows to speak. I give you what he's given me. Because you don't want my wisdom. My wisdom got me into lots of troubles when I was younger. A workaholic working 90, 100 hours a week ignoring his family. Now, my poor oldest son didn't even see his dad from about the time he was born until the time he was in ninth grade. Now, God's redeemed the relationship and all of that, but you know, I, I might see him in the morning as I was headed out, if he managed to get up early as I was leaving at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I would get home at 8, 9 o'clock at night, maybe see him as he's headed to bed. I made lots of mistakes in my own wisdom. We need God's wisdom. We need to walk in his ways. And this is what Paul's saying. I thank God because I'm hearing good things about your church. I'm hearing great things about it. And he says, I cease not to make mention of you in prayer because he's heard of their faith and their love unto the saints. And he says, and here's his prayer, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of the glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He prayed that God would give them wisdom, understanding. We talked this morning in the Sunday school class, wisdom. 
Wisdom is real simply just applying what you know. Applied, applied knowledge. You, you could be the smartest person, the most, the most knowledgeable person in the area, but if you don't do anything with that knowledge, it didn't do you a bit of good. I met lots of professors in college who had lots of, lots of book smarts and had never applied it to the real world. You know, and, they, and they were quite interesting. They would give you some of the dumbest ideas you'd ever, ever heard because they were so smart. They knew what would work. And when I went back to business college in the 90s after having 15 years of management experience, you know who I had the most problems with? Management professors. <laughs> because they would say some really dumb things. And I would go, professor, do you really think that would, oh yeah, and they'd give me their, their dissertation. I'm going, no, no. In the real world where you're dealing with people, <laughs> will that work? And in most cases, no. And we need to be careful about that, even in Christianity. We can get so smart in God's word, and we might have all, we might really have all the answers to all the things out there, but we've never talked to people about them, never taught anybody. We have a whole bunch of ideas and no real understanding. Have you ever been around a single person, maybe when you had young kids, and, they, and this single person was telling you all about how to raise your kids? Never had raised a kid in their, in, their, in their life. Maybe probably never even babysitted a kid. But they knew how to take care of kids. You know, the amazing thing in the 60s, Benjamin Spock wrote this book about how to raise kids. He didn't have any. He had kids, and all of a sudden he realized that everything he, everything he wrote in his book was a bunch of garbage, and he recanted his book. Too late. An entire generation of kids had been destroyed by his teaching. But he wrote as a official, I have all the answers and didn't know anything about what he was talking about. We as Christians can get to that point. Well, if you only did these rules that God says to do, then your whole life will be okay. Well, that may have been good for your life, but it may not be good for them. And God has a plan for each one of us. You know, the one thing about God's plan is it's tailored for each one of us. We, he does not have this do these eight steps and you'll be a wonderful Christian. Now we all kind of wish there was one of these, you know, do these eight steps or these 20 steps or these 100 steps and you'll be the world's greatest Christian. And we could go and say, okay, step one, step two, step three. It's not that easy. God, the Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. And I've said it before. I would kind of love it if God was just sitting on my shoulder saying, Say this to this person, do this, say that, act this way, go here, go there. That would be so easy, wouldn't it? God just verbally in our, in our ear saying, you know, do these. All I have to do is learn his voice. But you know, I end up talking to people and then going, well, I think God's told me to do such and such. And you, and you look at what they're doing and I'm going, well, that doesn't match up with what the Bible says. You get this young person saying, I really believe God is telling me to marry this, guy, this, this, uh, this other person. Are they a Christian? No. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got a news for you. God is not telling you to do this. Well, I really think he is. No. God says don't be unequally yoked. And I've heard so many people tell me, God told me to do such and such. And you look at it and say, you know, I don't think so. God told me to really be mean and aggressive to this person because they needed to be put in their place. I don't think God told you that. Your, your flesh told you that. But God tells us to love our enemy, do good to those who despitefully use us. 
He doesn't tell us to go beat somebody up either physically or, or verbally. He doesn't tell us to go get vengeance. He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we want to be careful. How, and we hear, does what we think God's telling us match up to his word? That's going to be your first test. If it doesn't match up to God's word, it's not from God. I don't care how much you think it's from God. It's not God's word. And I've heard people, you know, well, God told me. Well, no, he didn't. Well, how can you judge me? Because it doesn't match up to God's word. Doesn't match up to God's word. I don't care how much you think you know God and how strong you think your relation is with God, you didn't hear from God. Real simple answer. If it doesn't match up with his word, it is not from God. God is not going to go tell you to go shoot somebody in his name. Because he says don't commit murder. Now he may tell you to go report them to the police, let them go to jail and get punished. That's a whole other aspect of things. But he's not telling you to go do it personally, attack this person. Make sure that they feel two inches tall when you get done with them because they need to be punished. That's not our job in God. And we need to be very careful with that. We're not to be other people's judges. It says that they stand or fall before their master. And that's God. My job, if I love somebody and I go to them in the spirit of love, I may be able to say, you know, you're, doing, you're making some really bad decisions. You might want to go to God and find better decisions. If I go, you're making bad decisions, get right. <laughs> you know, that's not loving the person. That's not, that's not even truly helping them. But I go to them with the tears in my voice saying, you know, I'm really worried about the decisions you're making. You haven't been in church for, for a month. You're, you know, I've seen you hanging out with the wrong crowd. I really want to encourage you to get your life straightened out. There's a difference between that kind of approach that is love and saying, I care about you other than just that condemnation, you know, you're making bad decisions, get, get right. And we want to be careful of that, how we look at others. And most of our life, when we see people doing wrong, will be to pray for them. Lift them up in prayer. Put them before the throne of God. Then maybe God will give you the love enough for them to be able to go to them and give a gentle correction, a gentle, loving talk with them. But if you haven't prayed for them and you don't have that love for them, I would say keep your mouth shut. Don't go to them, no matter how bad you think it is, because they don't need condemnation. God does not condemn us. He convicts us. He wants, he'll convict us to come back to him, but he does not condemn. And if you don't understand the difference, condemnation leads people to, to self-loathing and, and the desire not to be around God. And you'll see it with people. They get condemned, and the last place they want to come is to church. Well, the last place they want to come is before God, period. But they definitely don't want to come to church where God's word's being lifted up and people are going to love them because they feel condemned. They feel worthless. Conviction does not do that. Conviction says, God's saying, you're doing wrong. Please come back. Please come back. And it puts us to our knees and says, God, please forgive me. It puts me to my knees going to somebody and saying, I just need help from somebody. And I've shared this before. We all need that person that we can go to and say, I just need help. I need somebody praying for me. I need somebody that can say, hey, I think you're going in the wrong direction. Because I can guarantee you, every one of us have been going in the wrong direction at some point in our life. Maybe even at this moment, we may be going in the wrong direction. We don't need somebody saying, get right, you're going in the wrong direction. We need just somebody say, God loves you. Do you realize the power of that? God loves you. God loves me. We sang the song, oh, how he loves you and me. 
God loves us. He loves us so much he died for us. When you get to the place where you just feel like everything's going against you and nobody loves you, remember that God loves you. And hopefully you'll have somebody that'll call you, God loves you. So many testimonies I've heard have come with that very sentence, God loves you. And all of a sudden it hit them. They may not feel anybody else loves them, but they see God loves them. It's the power of the shoeboxes stories that we hear. They get this little gift. You know, and we may just think they're little trinkets. You know, we go down to the dollar store and buy these little dollar gifts that, you know, that we know that the kids are going to tear up in a short time. But you know, for a kid who's never received a gift, that dollar gift is going to be something special. That notebook, when they don't get paper to write on, is going to be something special. The pencil that they have to write with is going to be something special. But it's also going to say, somebody out there cares. I may not have thought anybody cared, but somebody cares. Our job as Christians and people around us to show God's love toward them. God loves you. Loves you so much he died for you. Loves you so much that he cares about your eternity. We need to share that message with people. Because if you've ever told people about how much God loves you, almost instantly you'll get, yeah, right, nobody loves me. But you know that tender thing that God loves you still sticks in their mind and they're going to go does he? Does he really love me? And may move them to search for God. Knowledge and understanding. Not just knowledge but understanding. How do we apply God's word? I shared with the Sunday school class we could come to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every Thursday afternoon, every Friday afternoon. We could listen to every message that is taught in this church. We could be on the radio listening listening to all the preachers on the radio. But if we don't apply all that knowledge to our life and let it pour out to others, it's worthless. I could be the smartest Bible person in the world and have all the answers to every question somebody would ever want to ask. But if I don't share it with love to people, it doesn't, doesn't touch them. In the 80s, there was this man that was on the radio and he had the answers to just about any question you'd want to ask. But he was the most bitter, angry, harsh person that was on the radio. He criticized people. He tore, pe he tore different churches down. He tore different people down. And it's like, why are you on the radio? You've got the answers. You've got good answers. But it's so full of bitterness and hatred that you're doing more damage to the body of Christ than you're doing good. And Last point I want to bring out this morning is, what is the Christianity you're showing people? When people look at your life, are they seeing the light of the gospel? Are they seeing the love of Christ? Or do they see anger, bitterness, criticism? Think about that. When you got saved, if you had somebody witnessing to you that was bitter, angry, and, and critical, would you have accepted the gospel they gave you? You probably would have looked at it and said, what do I want that for? You know, I've got all kinds of friends that aren't Christians that are like that. I mean, I don't need this Jesus thing if, that's, if they're just like all the other people who are that way. We need to see the love, the kindness of Jesus showing. Now, Jesus was pretty hard on the scribes and the Pharisees because he was trying to shake them out of their religiosity. But he still loved them. He still cared for them. He still gave them the message. He may have been saying, you know, 
you know, you guys are lying to the people, you're cheating the people, you're giving them the wrong example. But he loved them enough to die for them. But look at how he ministered to the rest of the people. Blind Bartimaeus standing up in the middle of a crowd, screaming out, Jesus, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. One small voice in a multitude. And Jesus said, come forward. Come forward. Have you ever tried to pick out one voice out of the multitude? It's hard even if you're wanting to hear that person. You know, you're trying to hear the call or the, the voice of your own child or, or parent or whatever. But this man came to Jesus as a voice that he wasn't expecting. And he said, come forward. Healed people that weren't even Jews because they asked. Reached out and healed 10 lepers. Nobody, talk, nobody even talked to lepers in that day. You didn't go near a leper. And he went out and he actually touched the leper and said, be healed. Jesus' compassion went beyond anything anybody ever expected. Do we have that kind of light for people? When people are mean to us, do we get mean back to them, which is the human, the human way? Or do we express God's love to them? During the Psalms class, we've been teaching a lot. God is our defense because so many Psalms talk about God being our defense. Do we let God be our defender? Or do we say, well, you just wait till I get back at you. You know, I'm going to get back. I don't know when. I don't care. You know, the old adage, I don't get mad. I get even. <laughs> and usually when you say that, you're not even planning to get even. You're planning to go to the next level. You know, it should be, I don't get mad. I destroy you. <laughs> That is not a Christian attitude. That is not the Christian attitude. The Christian attitude, I'm going to show them love. I'm going to show them God's love. And let God be your defense. And I can guarantee you, if you'll stay out of the way, God will defend you. And I've seen it over and over in my lifetime. I've seen, God, I've seen men come against other Christians and then I've watched their life be destroyed because of what they said and did. I've seen them not act out the way God wants them to act out and seen the punishment that God dished out on them. And I can tell you, I did not enjoy seeing it. I did not take pleasure in their destruction because it hurt. If you can take pleasure in somebody else's punishment and, and, and discipline from God, there's something wrong with you. You don't have God's love. Yeah. And I remember, and every one of you probably remember, you're, you know, your dad saying this you know, is getting ready to give you your spank, and this hurts me more than it hurts you. And as a teenager, you're going, "Yeah, right." <laughs> then the first time you have to discipline your own child, you really start understanding that it is true. And if it's not true, you shouldn't be spanking your kid. If you take pleasure in the spanking of your kid, don't spank your kid. If it hurts you to cause that pain, it's where you're supposed to be. We should not be taking pleasure in other people's problems and downfalls. It should motivate us to say, how can I help this person? How can I show the love of God to this person to bring them to God and strengthen their walk with God, or strengthen their walk with God? If somebody has been disciplined by God, we go to them and we go, how can I pray for you? How can I help you? It's important. That whole desire. We all are going to fail. And I can guarantee you, you are going to fail. If you haven't already, and I know that if you say that you haven't, you're lying. When you fail, you want people to come up beside you and say, how can I help you? 
I still love you. I still care for you. You don't want them coming up, beating you and kicking you. I'm glad you're down. Stay down. <laughs> you know, stay down there. It's where you deserve to be. Stay down there. That's the flesh. The Spirit of God says, let me help you. Let me help you come back to God. You need God. You need to come back to God. If you're a Christian, you need to repent and come back to God. This is the love of God that is expressed with us. This is understanding his word. Not just a whole bunch of facts and knowledge. And there's a lot of facts and knowledge in the Bible, and it's good to know it. But it's how do you apply it? Are you loving? When people talk about the, you, are they saying, well, that person is just the meanest person I know. They say they're a Christian, but boy, they're mean. Are they saying, well, that person just so unloving. They, they enjoy watching people get hurt. Or are they saying, that person hurts when we hurt. They care. They want to see us do better. They want to see us grow. All of this is important. How do we represent God to the world? How do we help people in this world? How do we show God to the people in this world? And it's critical for us to do that. And we're going to go ahead and close in prayer here. And actually, no, I want to get this. The glory, the, under, uh, that we may know the hope of the calling and what the riches of God are. Have you thought about this, the calling? God has called every one of us. If we're Christians, he's definitely called us, and we know that we're called. He knows that he has a desire for us. And the riches of our inheritance. Do you realize that when we're a Christian, we are made part of God's family? We are adopted children with an inheritance. Now, if you've ever had an inheritance, you know what that can be like. If you've never had an inheritance, you may hope that someday you have somebody in your family who's rich enough to give you an inheritance. <laughs> but can you imagine the inheritance of God? The, the family that God gives us, the, the inheritance of God. We have great blessing. God, who owns everything, has promised to us an inheritance. And you think about this. God has everything. He's infinite. He is, has an, an infinite amount of treasury to give. And if we each got an in, equal share of an infinite of treasury, how much do we have? For those of you who like math, we have an infinite treasure. You, know, you divide infinity by any number, and you still have infinity. God has a great blessing for us. And the good news is, it's not just in heaven that he wants to give it to us. We've got great treasures in heaven, and heaven's going to be the greatest place with all the treasures and the, and the suites of rooms that have been built up there for us based upon what we have allowed him to do in our life. But you know, he also wants to bless us here on this earth. May not always be physical blessings. He gives us a peace that passes understanding. To me, that's probably the greatest gift that he gives, a peace. No matter what is going on, I can be at peace. Why? For number one, I know he controls the future. I have great peace because I know who controls the future. I know he's promised me nothing is going to happen to me that he doesn't allow. I know that he's promised that nothing, there is no temptation overtaken me, but such is common to man. So everything is going to be common. And he provides the way of escape. So 
I know, I have peace, I have confidence. I've met people who go, well, I've got to worry about everything. Why do you have to worry about anything? What have you ever changed by worrying? For those of you who like worrying, I'm not asking you to say this, but if, for those of you who like worrying, what have you ever changed by worrying about what might happen in the future? Now, some 80 to 90% of what we worry about never happens. And the other rest of it doesn't happen the way we worried about it anyway. God's in control. He's got the future already planned and already in place. Mason and Adrena, sit down and stay down, please. We can't keep coming in and out. Stay seated this time. So he has this inheritance for us, and he says, I've given you peace. We need to live in that peace. Is it easy? No, it takes a lot of practice to live in that peace. But he gives us peace. He gives us love. He gives us comfort. He gives us discernment. Discernment, being able to know what's right and wrong, being able to see through people's fronts that they put in front of us. It's a wonderful thing when somebody's trying to throw a front up in front of you and God just says, look right through it, and you see what they're trying to do. And God says, don't let them do it, just you know, ignore the front they're putting up. All of this that God gives us, plus all of heaven. I've said it before, if for some strange reason there is no afterlife with a heaven afterwards, I am not sorry for the life I've lived in Christ. I have lived a wonderful life with God on this earth. Has it been all roses and, and flowers and honey and, and riches? No, there's been a lot of hard times, but I have been at peace. I've looked at people and saying, watching them fall apart at the smallest thing to touch their life and saying, God, I am so glad that I'm in you. I am so glad you're in you. But because he's given me his promises now, I know for sure that there's a heaven. I know there's a heaven. I know he's preparing a place for me. He couldn't love me as much on this earth and not fulfill the rest of the promises. There is a, there is a promise to live up to. But even if there isn't, and I hope you understand what I'm saying, I have not lost anything serving God and doing things his way. Matter of fact, I've had so many people ask me, how can you manage to go through these things and not freak out? And it gives you a great opportunity to witness because God gives you the control. He gives you the peace. He's the great gifts that he has. All right, we're going to close. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have of coming before you. We, we ask that you help us to live in all that you have for us. We ask you to give us the peace that passes understanding. Help us to come before you. And we just thank you. If there's anyone in here who's not really truly known God in a, in a strong way, we ask you, if you don't know him, Come, be, come to him. To come to him and become a Christian is so simple. God, I am a sinner. I sin. I know I deserve punishment, and I know that Jesus died for my sins and paid for all the price, and I ask him to come into my heart. If you say that prayer, I want you to come and talk to me later and just let me know that you've said it. We've got a little booklet we can help you with. But for the rest of us, I challenge you, ask God to help you show his love to the, to the world around you your neighbors, your friends, his love, his compassion. Be, help, ask him to help you be the example of a Christian that will draw people to the light of Christ. Because it's, only he can do it. And that light in that drawing is what we want to see. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.